our worship of God shapes our relationship with him. Like the way we worship him shapes our relationship. You know, the words we sing really do matter. And that's why we're working through this series to see that, you know, these aren't just empty words that we're singing, but they're the theology behind them and the biblical base, it's just amazing to see. So let's get right into it. And this song this week is called Reckless Love. If you've never heard it before, it's kind of good because you get to work through the song first and then sing it right after the message. And if you are familiar with it, I hope you like it. So it starts out by saying, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. Now, I want us, all of us here to think about a newborn, a newborn child for a moment. You know, this child means everything to the parents. Think about either a grandparent holding it or a parent. You know, this child has done nothing wrong up until this point and is so full of potential. And the parents sit there in those quiet moments singing lullabies and other loving songs to this child. And it just seems like all is right in the world. And now think about God doing that to us. Only, he's not singing some lullaby, being unsure about the child's future. He's singing about the future that he has planned for us. You know, he's singing, I have great plans for you. Plans for your good and not for evil. Plans to give you hope and a future. God's singing over this and he's filled with joy because he knows the plans for our life. You know, a mother or father might be worried about the child's future, especially, you know, if they live in a bad area or if they don't have money or if they're in a difficult family situation. But God is overjoyed while he's singing over us because he knows the great plans that he has. Now, it might be difficult to hear or even comprehend, but God's love for us is so much greater than that of a parent. Because look how this song continues. It says, before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. Now, sometimes as humans, we think that we are responsible for creating new life, which to some degree we are, but nothing happens without God. You know, he is the one who forms every new creation. If we go back to Jeremiah here, we see, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So with all this being said, in this life on earth, we are set up for success. Everything is in our favor. The deck is fixed for us. You know, we have the God of the heavens and the earth breathing life into us and singing over us, and he desires the best for each one of us. But then, at some point, we turn from God's perfect plan for our lives. You know, looking at it from this perspective, we think, why, why would we ever do this? If the God who created me has this perfect plan for me, why would I walk away from that? Well, it's different reasons for everybody, just like it's different for me as it's different from you. You know, some of us in this room may see this world as more attractive sometimes. Some don't want to get made fun of or bullied. Some were raised by Christian parents who did everything but show the love of God to their children. And some are simply trying to make it on their own. You know, whatever the case, we have all deliberately disobeyed God at one point or another in our lives. And God had every reason to say, I'm done with you, and to protect himself from being hurt by us further. 
But look how the song continues. It says, when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. Now I want you to think for a moment about parents fighting for the well-being of their children. You know, sometimes parents go to irrational lengths to fight for the well-being of their kids. I remember hearing a story once of a father who threatened to throw another child out of a window because this child was messing with his son. Now, that might seem a little bit far off, but a good parent will stand up for their kids, especially if they see imminent harm coming. You know, if someone's going to mess with your kid, you're going to do whatever you can to protect them. And God fights for us in much the same way because he sees the imminent harm to us of being apart from him. He knows that when we're separated, when sin comes into our lives, that there is so much at risk for us because God sees the full impact of our sin. You know, this is something that we can't totally see on this earth. Sometimes we think, you know, after doing something bad, we think, whoa, that was bad, but like everything looks good. I got away with it. I'm just not going to do that again. And we think we get off Scott clear for it. But I'm here to say that every sin that we commit does have an impact, even if we don't see it right at that time. You know, Jesus knows that each and every human being Each and every sin harms us, so he did something that may have seemed irrational or even reckless, and he took it away from us. 2 Corinthians tells us that God made him who had no sin, who was pure, he made him to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But Jesus couldn't perform just a regular sacrifice. He couldn't do what was custom at the time. He couldn't gather together some choice goats and calves. You know, he couldn't gather the best of the best and say, these will be enough. No, he truly had our well-being in mind because it's recorded in Hebrews. It says, with his own blood, Jesus shed his own blood, not the blood of goats or calves, And he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. So the song keeps going perfectly. So when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. Now, just for a minute, I want all of us to think about how we felt after one of our worst sins. I know this is a little bit uncomfortable and I normally wouldn't recommend this, but just try it right now. Think about a time that you really messed up in life, a time that you really regret, and how you felt after that. You know, when you had to start dealing with the consequences and you saw broken people and hurt lives. The reason I'm having us do this is because, you see, sometimes in our minds, we can justify why Jesus paid it all for us. You know, we think of the good things that we do, because we all do do good things, don't get me wrong. And we end up seeing ourselves in a good light. You know, we don't understand the full weight of our sins. We just don't feel it because we tend to see the good in us. But the truth is that we're so, so, so far away from God's holiness that we're not even comparable to him. Now, I've heard before that Jesus dying for us could be compared to one man dying for another, or even that You know, one man died for all of creation, so I could see it being kind of comparable. But that's not the case at all. I've also heard Jesus 
taking our place as comparable to an individual dying for a colony of cockroaches. Now, I'm not calling any of us cockroaches here, don't get me wrong, but I'm here to say that, you know, Jesus dying for us wasn't an equal death. It's the God of this world, the most holy of holies, dying for people like us. You know, it's just our minds can't even get a grasp on how intense his sacrifice was for us. Romans 5 tells us, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, when we were at our worst, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we felt our very worst, while we felt so dirty and disgusting and unworthy, Christ died for us. This is why this song is called Reckless Love, because it doesn't really make sense for God to love us in this way. You know, we didn't do anything to deserve it or earn it. But even when we turn from God's perfect plan for our lives, the song helps us out and tells us his love chases us down, it fights till we're found, and leaves the 99. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this parable in the Bible about leaving the 99. It says, if a man has a 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. You know, God left the comfort and the sheer perfection of the kingdom of heaven to chase us down. You know, God would leave these cute sheep to come after us. He leaves everything, every comfort to come after us. So when we turn away from God, or we watch our children turn away from God, or we watch a spouse turn away from God, things that can make our heart hurt so much, God doesn't just say, you know what, let's call that one lost and move on. I work at UPS at night during the week, and, you know, so many packages come through there that there are going to be some that get damaged. And we end up just marking them as damages, and, you know, we keep the label, and then the rest of the stuff has to be thrown away because there's no repairing it. But it's fine to do because there's so much stuff that ships through there, so it's just a very small percentage. But even if God has all of us Besides a very small percentage, it's not enough for him. He wants every single one of us, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to get us. Because God's love follows the path that we choose. You know, so often, like God has this perfect plan for us, but we choose our own way. But that doesn't mean God stops. It means he follows the path that we choose. And this song shows us some ways that he does this. It says, there's no shadow you won't light up. Now, the presence of God is in the darkest places of this community, the darkest places of this world, just as it is in this church building. Remember Jesus' life on this earth. You know, he touched people with leprosy who were unclean. He ate with tax collectors and sinners, the worst of the worst. He, kept, he did not come for the righteous, but for sinners and Jesus isn't afraid to go to the dark places with his love. 
You know, I can just imagine a girl who's sold into sex trafficking, you know, in a very dark place, singing this, saying, there's no shadow you won't light up coming after me. Come rescue me, Jesus. Or I picture a little boy in an abusive home hiding from his parents while they're fighting, saying, there's no shadow you won't light up. Come to this dark place, Lord, rescue me. And Jesus comes. Then the song continues by saying, there's no mountain you won't climb up. Now, you know, when we run from God, we can never get too far away. I've tried it, trust me. Because God won't get tired, and he can see up to the tops of the mountains. Like when Jesus spent his time on this earth, he was willing to drag the massive wooden cross up the hill to where he would be crucified. He did this while he was getting whipped and spit on and mocked. And he was so dehydrated that his tongue was sticking to the roof of his mouth. So even if we try to run from God, when we finally get up to the top of that mountain and we're all out of breath and we think the coast is clear, we see God standing there saying, I'm here, are you ready for me? You know, we can't get too far away from God. And it says there's no wall you won't kick down. So we've seen from Jesus' time on earth that he won't allow anything to stand that blocks people from the Father. You know... Like, think about when Jesus Christ died, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom that separated the people from the most holy God. And I know there's mothers and fathers and grandparents in this room who just feel as if there's a wall separating their child from God. Like, the parent is doing everything they can to instill these values in the child and to teach them right and wrong and to teach them what to do, but it's like it's just not making sense within the individual. Or you can feel this way about a spouse or a loved one or anything, but it's just like there's some wall separating this person from God and they just can't comprehend. Well, what I have to say is don't give up. Keep praying. Pray for their hearts to be softened. Pray for the veil to be torn that's inside of them. You know, pray there's no wall you won't kick down coming after Mark. Or pray there's no wall you won't kick down coming after Jen. Keep them in prayer because God wants to knock down any wall that's separating people from him. And then finally it says, there's no lie you won't tear down. So how do you tear down a lie? with the truth. And Jesus literally declares himself as the truth. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, I love the idea of praying for the truth to reach people in this world, even to places where we never thought it would reach. There are thousands of Muslims right now, dedicated Muslims, coming to faith in Jesus Christ because they're seeing visions of him. They're seeing the truth through visions, that's how God's reaching them, and then they're completely converting and moving towards Christianity. You know, the Bible tells us, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and the Lord wants us to know the truth. But do you know what isn't specifically in the Bible? That sometimes the truth hurts. It can be incredibly painful when the truth is exposed in our lives. Like, it's wonderful learning the truth about Jesus Christ, but then when we learn the truth about ourselves, it can really hurt. And this is because the truth shows who we really are, and it isn't always pretty. 
You know, the light, who is Jesus Christ, exposes our dark areas that we try so hard to keep hidden. The sins that we don't want anybody to know, the sins that we will hide so that no one sees, even if it keeps hurting us and hurting us and hurting us. You know, John 3.16, which I'm sure many of us are familiar with, says that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we can end up having eternal life with him. But just a couple verses later in John 3.19, it says, you know, this light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. You know, people wanted to stay in the darkness because they didn't want the truth to be exposed in their lives. It's tough when lies are torn down and we face the truth, but it's something that can drastically change everything. The man who wrote this song and made it famous, Corey Asbury, he said, to get personal, God's love saw me, saw a broken down kid with regret as deep as the ocean. My innocence and youth poured out like water. So God saw him at his worst, and then Corey said, yet he saw fit to use me for his kingdom because God's just that kind. Corey's saying that God saw me at at my worst, but yet he still wants to use me. So no matter what the light exposes in our lives, what we have been keeping hidden, the Lord is ready to use us for service. Because when we say yes to God, his plans for our lives will make the heavens roar. You know, the writer of this song, Corey, who once viewed himself as this kid with so much regret and his innocence taken away, is literally making the stadiums roar for the glory of God. His concerts are just making actual roars. But whatever we choose to do, however we serve God, our resulting effect is just the same because we can't quite grasp the impact that our service to God has. Because for those of you who are familiar with Newton's third law, it says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. But that's not how God works. For every action with him, there is a much greater and greater and greater reaction because he partners with us and multiplies and multiplies and multiplies to do so much work that we won't see until we're in the kingdom of heaven. So even if we're not on stage playing music in front of thousands, the works that we do truly do make the heavens roar. But we have to say yes for this to happen. And let me tell you, I am very good at saying no. So I first felt a strong calling from God to be a pastor at the age of seven. I was sitting inside this church here with my grandparents who are here today, and I felt as if God was speaking directly to me through the pastor and saying, you don't just choose this. This is something that you're called into. And I felt like God was saying, you are going to be that person up front one day. This is the plan I have for your life. But I said no that day. I was only seven years old. cut me some slack. But then I said no each day after that. I said no for the next 17 years of my life. Sometimes it was because I had no interest in doing what God wanted me to do here. Sometimes it was because I was involved with sports or other priorities. Sometimes it was because this wasn't the life that I wanted. And sometimes I said no because I felt unworthy of serving him. Like, I desperately didn't want to be 
that old boring guy up front, which maybe, getting there. <laughs> but that wasn't the life that I wanted, so I kept saying no to God. But God didn't cast me away forever when I turned onto my path instead of his. Instead, he lit up every shadow in my life. He entered all the dark areas. He climbed up every mountain I tried to hide on. He was waiting at the top for me. He kicked down every wall separating us, even the ones that I kept trying to reinforce to block us. And our God replaced all the lies that I believed with the truth, his truth. So he is the one who lets me be up here today. He's the one who equips all of us to serve him. And he's the one that deserves the praise and the honor and the glory for all of this. But there's one more part to the story. Let's be real honest. There are times in our lives where we feel unworthy of serving God. You know, we know about his love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness but we just feel like we've messed up too badly to serve him. We feel like we're just unworthy because he is up here, we're down here. What can I do for you, God? After all, I just don't see how you can use me. I had one, of, I've had many of these moments, but I've had one even while I was here at New Stanton. I was sitting in my office thinking about my life as a whole and the path that I've been on and hearing thoughts from the enemy. And I wondered, why God would choose me, because I just felt so unworthy that I didn't even know if I should keep working. So what I did, I took a walk down the hall, and I walked into the worship center here, and then I walked into the prayer room here. And in the prayer room, there's a Bible that's open. It's a very old Bible, and I just felt led to that. And I turned like three pages over to get to a specific passage that I thought God was trying to like point out to me with all these flags and everything else. And I'll read it from here because that Bible was pretty old. I don't want to bring it out here. But it was an Old Testament passage from the book of Ezekiel chapter 36. This is what I felt God saying to me. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. He says, I am bringing you back but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name, on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, for I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land." But he doesn't just leave it at that. He continues by saying, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations." So God knows all of our pasts. He knows how we've messed up. He knows how we've turned from him and turned to do our own thing. But he still wants to use us in his service. He says, I'm bringing you back. You know, he's doing it to show how holy his name is among the nations, that he can transform people like us. And by the work he does in us, the nations will know that he is the Lord 
and he will make us clean. He will sprinkle clean water on us and our filth will be washed away. He'll take out the stony, stubborn hearts within us and give us a new heart and put his spirit inside of us. We just need to say yes to him. So we've all turned from God's perfect plan for our lives. We've all turned in our direction, but his love has followed the paths we've taken up until this point. And now he has taken care of everything, and he simply wants us to say yes to serving him. He wants to make the heavens roar through our lives. And there really shouldn't be a reason for God to love us like this, or to provide us an opportunity to represent his holy name. To some, especially in this world, this type of love would seem reckless. But to God, he knows what he's doing, and his love for us conquers all and his love never fails. So Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for chasing us down when we were so stubborn. Thank you for chasing us down when we wanted nothing to do with you. Thank you for protecting us from the evils in this world and doing so much that we can't see. Now Lord, we say yes to you. Use us in powerful ways. Multiply the gifts you've put within us and let us bring glory and honor to your name all over this earth because we love you and we serve you because we love you. We don't want any of this glory going to ourselves, but we want it all going to you to make your name great among this earth. So Lord, empower us with your Holy Spirit. Let us go out into this world and make your name great by showing people Jesus Christ. So we love you and we thank you. Amen.